0: Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy. Discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else
1: that comes up.
0: Alright! Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey Randy, how's it going?
1: Hey, Jake, I am doing fabulous. I just want to remind folks out there that your favorite kitchen utensil is a fork, just in case people have forgotten that.
0: <laughs> and yours is a spatula.
1: <laughs> That's right. But I am actually very drawn to a whisk as well. So I want—I don't want to just be married to a spatula. I want to be open to the whisk.
0: You, you like so. to spread your kitchen utensil love around. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah well, I mean, you got to be more attracted to not just the fork. do you How about a spoon? You like a spoon?
0: I mean, I don't know. I like the I like the fork the best because it's for me, it just has the most utility. I can feed myself, <laughs> I can grab things, I can I don't know cut my meat with the side of it.
1: <laughs> all right, so we'll we'll just leave you at the fork. So I am super excited about our guest today. Um, this person is a many time world champion, a Rose Bowl champion, um, and also many consider this person to be the greatest women's player of all time. So I am super excited on that note to welcome in Kate Dow to Shooting the Frisbees. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees, Kate.
2: Hey guys, I'm so excited to be here. I just felt like so moved when you reached out to me and asked me to come because. Freestyle is such a love of mine, but I've felt so disconnected for, for the last many years while I've been busy raising my kids. So thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's really our pleasure. We're very excited to have you here, and I, I've never—I don't think I've ever met you in person, so this is really a treat for me to get to know you after all the all of the wonderful stories that I've heard about you. So,
2: oh, hopefully, good ones. <laughs>
0: uh, all good, well, mostly about how much you shred. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so why don't we just start at the beginning? Uh, how did frisbee come into your life?
2: Um, let's see. I think I was in about ninth grade in high school. I was going to join this friend of ours to go just throw a frisbee around. And he said, and he lived in Venice. So he's like, Oh, everybody plays down there. So we should go down there. So he had a big whammo disc and he, we went down to go throw it around. And I see these people at the, what now I knew was the Venice green playing freestyle and just completely mesmerized. Like, Oh my God, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I've got to learn how to do it. And He was late to meet me. So I was already like ready to go meet everybody and just say, What is that that you're doing? So it it was just attraction and love at first sight.
0: So what year was that, Kate?
2: Um, It was, uh, let's see, around 1978. Yeah. So the
0: people, were they doing nail delays at that point? Oh, yeah. OK.
2: Oh, yeah. People were doing nail delays and doing freestyle. I mean, that I, I think it was pretty much all the things that were happening. I mean, of course, the level of play changed over time. But, you know, they were doing nail delays and airbrushing. And and I was just like, oh, my gosh, so enthralled. Wow.
1: I didn't realize that the Venice Green was your first exposure, because at that time in the Venice Green, that was the place to be. Right. And so that was your first introduction I'm like wow you were seeing some of the best of the best
2: exactly it was like before Joey and all the New Yorkers came out you know it was the it was the locals uh Casey and Pearl and Jeffrey and Gus and Mark Sebastian Brian Roberts you know those guys
1: so this was pre- Donnie Rhodes then
2: right. Pre-Dawn. Okay,
1: so it was Gus Emerson, and we say Pearl, Gary Pearlberg. Uh-huh. I'm kind of using both first names and last names just for a lot of folks who don't know who who those people are by first name. Casey, I, what was yeah. Casey's last name?
2: I don't remember. That's fine. Oh, and Fred, like, Fred and Stan came out around the same time that I, that I was playing. Um, they were... Um, Literally, I think about 23 years older than me. They were like the ages of my parents and they became like my best friends. Like wow. that whole group. There was this whole group. Like when I turned 16 the next year, they all came in when they were my birthday party people. That's,
1: <laughs> That's I'm <so> serious. Cool. <laughs> they really embraced you. They, they said, oh, hey yeah. kid, come on, come oh, look, totally. we'll show, you, show you what this is all about. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: yeah. Casey took a picture of uh, me with sh- somebody showing me the delay. That was it. That was the very first picture of me standing there looking at it. I was 14, 15, right around there.
1: And so when did the New Yorkers start to come in? Like when cuz I remember the first time I heard about Venice Green was when Donnie had gone down there. And so what can you talk about a little bit of the evolution of the Venice Green if you can remember?
2: Yeah, it's a little foggy, but I mean, I I remember learning with the with the local folks for a good year. Before, you know, Richie Smith, Joey, Hudaklin, Roosevelt, uh, you know, Joey and Jane, right? They moved out there. And although they were right in the period of, like, not being together for that much longer or something, uh, Laura Engel was kind of on her way out of playing at that moment. Like, I think, if I remember correctly, I think she was like just getting married to the guy from Oingo Boingo. So I remember I got to see her jam like maybe just a few times in person.
1: Did Laura Engel start at
2: Venice Green? I believe so. I mean, she wasn't. Wow. she's an L.A. girl. She's still in L.A. as far as I know. I, I kind of looked her up a little while ago, and I was like, I think she's still living in, in right. L.A.
1: Yeah, she she pops up every once in a while on Facebook. Uh, in some of the the frisbee chatter it's like oh wow she is still kind of keeping an eye on things from afar so oh
2: that's good so so i'm trying to answer your question so those guys came out and and donnie i believe i don't know if he came out right at the same same time as joey and jane and yeah uh richie bartle started hanging being there too and and uh The whole New York thing just started to slowly happen. And then we started knowing more about people who were learning in New York, you know, playing in lofts with no wind and everything was centered work. And we were like, wow, that's weird. (laughs) Yeah, the styles were so different. (laughs) But it was such a cool thing to start learning, right? Just to, to integrate that form into what was naturally a little more of an air playing style being on the green.
0: So you start on the green and you see these guys and you're just totally mesmerized. Yeah. Do you immediately you go up and you ask them, teach me how to do this?
2: No, I I was sort of checking them out and I remember uh I was into roller skating at the time. So at a few times I'd go down there to go roller skate and I'd ask if they'd watch my stuff. And then, you know, they were very inviting. They they were sort of like, Who is this? Right. But Very quickly, I I just got past my whole like nerve thing. And I just was like, I was going to try it. And I was just I was a very athletic person. I'd always done sports. Okay, so I'd done gymnastics, I'd done track, volleyball, basketball, high jump, you know, like all kinds of things for years. And i I just always kind of struggled with that kind of, I want to say almost, uh, institutionalized sport. So I was super drawn to it. And so as soon as they showed me like how to start doing a delay, I was just working it and breaking my nose almost like, right. You just like hit your nose a million times and you're like, oh shit, you know, but my determination was just huge. I was like, I'm going to learn this. I was so driven. It was crazy. I was super driven. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's usually what it takes. People see it and they get totally hooked and then they just can't yeah. stop. Yeah. So yeah. the discs in 1978, what disc were you playing with?
2: Boy, that's a good question. It was probably a wham product at that point. Did I don't think Sky Stylers were created then and Floaters weren't created then. Were they?
0: No, I think they were early 80s. Both. So think, it had
2: to have been that. Yeah.
0: So did you have to shave the letters off to get the, the bottom flat?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to do that and had to put on the nails and the, the whole shebang and this disgusting silicone spray <laughs> that we all probably have in our lungs.
1: Yes, yes, no doubt. I'm pretty sure it was like the, the world-class 165. yeah. Whammo! And I loved those. I thought those were great. Um, in fact, I remember seeing a Laura Engel, Craig Mansickle right. on the disc. Those That's are the ones that I had the most of. Yeah. That's
2: true. Yeah, I, um, I'm i super fortunate. I do have a video of the, the Rose Bowl in 1981. Um, I don't know if you guys want to jump that far yet, but it's just hilarious. Because the very first uh, one was that my dad took. And he, my mom and dad would come to some tournaments. My dad, you know, they had the funky old video cams, so you know he wasn't super great at it, and so he was trying to do the videos at the the world's cha- world championships and. <laughs> at the end he never turns it off right so he's walking out the the <laughs> whole stadium and the and you just you're swinging he's seeing the back of him like swinging <laughs> along the pavement walking through the tunnel it was just hilarious <sighs> and he just didn't know how to catch everything that was happening but it was so sweet so i actually had proof that that happened i didn't just dream that Oh, that's awesome right.
1: you know, and you're but, talking that you're talking about the routine with connie bond in the rose
2: bowl right right, right. that was the last rose bowl that was 1981 but yeah. So
1: was Connie Was Connie your first partner or did you have somebody else who you kind of went down that road of like first tournaments? And-
2: My very first tournament uh, was in Sonoma and I played with Gary Pearlberg. It was Indian summer and I wore jean cutoff shorts <laughs> <laughs> and I was a total hippie little girl. Connie came a little bit later. She showed up at the green, had mo- moved from Illinois and was like, Somehow she knew about it already. I don't think she was brand new to it, but she was like driven to learn. And I really don't remember who else I played with prior to becoming like, you know, partners with Connie. It's kind of a bit of a fog. But yeah, it must have just been her in terms of the first, you know, woman that I was really because there really weren't other women playing at that time out of the green very much.
1: Right, right. I mean you and Connie sort of became like a power team. I mean, you guys were amazing together. And I don't know if Carolyn and Stacy, if they were playing at that time. And
2: I think they um, came a little later, like not like okay. right on the heels after that. I remember they, they weren't really on the scene until after that Rose Bowl. And then they really a couple of years after, I think was when they really started to take off and and dominate like you know, the, the women's freestyle. And at that point I was in a weird, like, that's a whole different story. I don't know if you guys want to go down that road, but for me, the competition was sort of bittersweet because for example, at the Rose bowl, we were, Connie and I were like the underdogs and everybody was like cheering for us. And as soon as we won, we were sort of like the bitches to beat. And people oh didn't like you people did, you know, there was competitiveness, there was backtalk, there was rumors, there was all kinds of gossipy stuff that really broke my heart. And I think I only played like, maybe one more tournament. And then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to show up and jam on the sidelines. Because I'm not here to get into all this drama. I really just want to play. So I would show up at tournaments and people like, oh, are you going to play? And I was like, no, no, I'm just going to hang out and jam and party. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah, I don't, totally don't blame you when it's that aggro. It's not that much fun.
2: Yeah. Well, so. I,
1: I think also in during that time, things were much more intense oh. uh, than they are today. There's definitely a little bit more camaraderie that's going on there's still you know there's still the weird competition vibe that can happen but back in those you know late 70s early 80s things were pretty intensive we've learned in talking to folks people were like trying to make a living and it was it had just sort of a an edge to it that was not really fun and I I totally hear you
2: yeah and I I think you know we were all young and uh and and unfortunately, the culture as women, I would say, in in the bigger world, was that women had this thing of needing to be competitive. That was in the frisbee world, but outside of it too, I think. And I think that's shifted more over the last many years. Um, I think there's a little more, especially in the last ten years, uh, more of a sense of women coming together and supporting each other. But yeah, that was just super sad and because I'd already experienced that competition in the kind of more structured sports and so for me freestyle was such a a love for me it was such a a part of my heart that to have it become that was just just too much you know and then I came back in my own way but that was my own internal struggle with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was that gap in your competitive. Just if you look at the, the, the stats that, you know, there was that gap from whatever 81, 82 to 88, 89. Yeah. I think I didn't
2: play again until 86. Did Connie have that
1: same experience? Cause she kind of stopped playing for a while too. I'm not sure.
2: I don't know if that was really her take on it. That, 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 that that was, it, it could have been, we both felt like sort of like screw this, you know, let's just jam. Like that's what we're in for the heart of the jam. So I think in a way she might have sort of agreed with that. She also had a lot of other, you know, things going on in her life um, that she just kind of distanced a little bit. I think we both felt a little bit, yeah, disheartened with it, with that aspect, even though we were so excited and so proud of like showing up and being able to to be a totally different style, right? Because we were a totally different style. We came in Indeed. and. We were not the cute, tiny little girls, and uh, we played more like men. Yeah, and of course, I i had that part of me that always um, <laughs> kind of had a bit of my own competitiveness towards men because I, I felt like a lot of times what I was doing – didn't get recognized because I was so graceful doing it versus guys doing the same exact combination would look like they were, you know, grunting through the whole thing. So then it looked really hard, you know, and I was like, screw that, you know, like women, women can play just as hard. We're just not going to make it look hard,
1: right? (laughs) Which is ultimately what you want, right? You don't want to make it look hard. You want to make it look easy and beautiful. That's what we're all trying to achieve. That's... Yeah, that's ironic.
2: Yeah, yeah. I felt. I especially felt that way. Uh, gosh, I don't know when I played. I ended up playing with Joey in um, Victoria, Texas. I don't know when. It was at that point that I was really in that feisty, like, I want men to recognize me. So I played with him in the open. I don't even remember if we won. I, I just remember that I played the best I've ever played in that particular dynamic. And I was out to sort of prove myself with the, you know, patriarchal world that women could do it just as good as guys.
1: I want to go back to the Venice green and kind of go back to that timeline and how you progressed, because there was a kind of a migration that happened to Santa Barbara from yeah. the Venice green. And so can you talk about that experience?
2: <laughs> well, it was interesting cuz of course I graduated high school and I was having to figure out well where am I going to go to college cuz I'm um, that was just like the the agenda, right? Like go to college. And everybody somehow was suddenly going to Santa Barbara. So I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I'll apply to UCSB." And that's the only school I applied to and I went in and got in and moved to Santa Barbara. That was just like a no brainer because everybody was moving there. And, um, I really don't remember why. I I feel like it was probably more of the New York crowd. It was Joey and Richie. And maybe we just, you know, all of us loved it up there at Palm park. And may, I think also that Venice was getting a little crazier and a little, um, just the energy and the kind of people hanging out down there, it was getting a little more commercial and the wind was just beautiful up there. I, I think there was just a number of reasons and and I I think Joey would be the one to ask because at that point he was sort of becoming the the leader in a sense, you know, like, okay, we're all moving to <laughs> Santa Barbara. And um yeah, and it was it was just a beautiful natural shift. But of course, a lot of people in LA didn't move because they lived there and they had their businesses and they had their lives. And so I think, um, there was a bit of a transition there that must've been hard for, for people who were staying local.
1: I mean, like Gary Pearlberg didn't move up to Santa Barbara. He didn't right. do that flow. And right. I don't think Gus Emerson or any of those other folks, although Gus Emerson may have gone up to Santa Barbara. I don't he, know. But.
2: He ended up moving up to Carpinteria. Um, I don't know uh, when exactly that was, but he he's married and lives in Carpinteria, which is just South of Santa Barbara. Right. But yeah, Brian, right. Brian Roberts was going off into med school. Right. And uh, he was finishing, I mean, and then going into the next levels of his things. And um uh a lot of the local guys just you know they continued to do their thing but i think it grew in some ways too uh there was new people coming in and a lot of people wanting to jam on the beach and so that became another thing of course z was down there right dreamer he he stayed living there and um so everybody had their ebb and flow of when they were around and when they kind of got back involved
1: right right yeah we we did talk to joey uh earlier and he oh, said that yeah. Um, you should listen to the episodes. They're really, they're really great and kind of give you a little window into some of what you're talking about. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, but he had talked about going down to Venice green. He moved out from New York cause he said it was cold and he wanted to be warmer. And so he went down to Venice green and he was like, you know, I'm, I think I'm done with down here. And he called Chipper, right. Chipper Grobel, and said, Hey Chip, I want to come up and play. Can I, park my van out in front of where can I come stay with you? And Chip was like, yeah, sure, man, come on up. And uh, yeah. so that was kind of that start. And then people, you know, like Donnie ended up going up there. John Kirkland was up there. We, we were talking to Joe. It was amazing how many players were there in Santa Barbara. And then it also sort of became this sort of draw, this mecca of people who were visiting from outside of the U.S. or other places. Oh, coming, yeah. You know, right. like. You know Adrian Wainwright and Colin right. Cummins and yeah uh, yeah. So you went to school at UCSB and right. jamming at Palm Park,
2: right? And and you know because I was already I I was always kind of older for my age. So you know I just. I didn't feel like doing the the college thing and going and living up in IV and, you know, doing that whole thing. So I just lived downtown and moved into a house. Well, originally I I moved into an apartment out of my van and I lived with Erica and Connie. And that was a that was intense and fun all at the same time. (laughs) You know, we lived in this little tiny um, apartment and then eventually I moved into a house uh, with um, Julie and her husband and, you know, just some other Frisbee players like they came from Canada and continued to go to school. And that was really hard because nobody, of course, nobody else in the entire Frisbee world (laughs) was going to school. (laughs) (sighs) So that was really rough. I was like, okay, stay on track. Okay, now go jam and have fun. Okay, get back on track. You know, it was rough. Yeah, but it was beautiful up there. It was really beautiful up there. And there were, there was a ton of people. A lot of people got drawn there. And, you know, you could go out pretty much every day, any day and jam and have people would be there.
1: Well, that was really interesting to hear Kate talk about a couple of the meccas in our early days, like the Venice Green and Santa Barbara at Palm Park. So what's interesting in my own personal journey is that I actually spent a couple of times at the Venice Green, and that's where I first saw Donnie Rhodes kind of just being a, a green player. And then the next time I saw him, he had just exploded into this amazing player that had just taken it to a whole nother realm. But then the whole Palm park migration that happened, that was actually after I had checked out and I didn't really come back into the sport until later in the eighties, like 87, 88. What's funny is it my first tournament back was at Palm Park, and I think it was an FPA Worlds. Might have been 1988. I did eventually make it to Santa Barbara to Palm Park, but it was way after that migration that Kate had talked about. So you're coming into the sport in 95. What were some of the meccas that you remember?
0: So there were some local meccas that I interacted with a lot more than the larger mecca. So in the beginning, you know, I didn't know about all the history and all the lore about where all the jam communities were. So the places that I would play was obviously in Santa Rosa where I learned. But then, I don't know, maybe once a month, we would make a journey to one of the meccas to jam with other, or our local meccas to jam with other people. So we would go to uh, Golden Gate Park and meet up with Tom Leitner and Keith Armstrong and uh, a couple other jammers who I haven't seen in so many years. And, uh, oh, and Doug Corns and You know, it was this great experience to see these people with these new skills. So it was, yeah, Golden Gate Park. And then the other one is uh, in Sacramento. There was another park, and I can't remember the name, but we went there several times and met up with Steve Hubbard and Carolyn Yabe. Yeah, just watching them was amazing. So.
1: So sort of a a local Northern California scene vibe mecca going on. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, it was super special for us because, you know, we we were young. I think Matt was like 16 and I was 20. And so we would jam with our little local community and there were about six of us. And we were we were, we thought we were pretty good, but then we'd go to these other places on the special journey and we'd see people who were really good and it would just blow our minds. And then we'd come back and we'd have new things to work on. So we'd be like, Oh, I gotta learn a skid now. Oh I have to learn to do this this backroll thing. Oh my god. Yeah. It was it was very inspirational to go to these other places. <laughs>
1: I love that. It's Like I remember those moments. Was like, oh man, we thought we were good, but nope, we got a lot to learn.
0: Yeah, totally. But it was <laughs> yeah. But you know the the other cool thing was you go to those meccas. We went to those meccas, and people were so supportive.
1: So what's also really cool is that there's kind of the circle is being completed that this tournament that's coming up. I think next weekend, uh, Northern California. Or it's not too far from when this podcast is going to be released. But Pavel Bironic is having a tournament there in NorCal, Northern California, your old stomping grounds. And I think you're going to be there. Are you going to go?
0: Yes, I am going to go. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. That's uh, We're going to be, I believe, at Ocean Beach in San Francisco, which is another place that we played a lot, although not in the very early days. But that's where I learned to beach jam. And uh, I'm hoping that some of these old crusty guys who I haven't seen in years will come out and get to catch up, to see how they're doing
1: well that's pretty cool to close that circle i mean that's 20 plus years ago so that's cool that pavel is kind of trying to spark that light again and uh get it going in the norcal groove
0: yeah totally there's so many freestylers there so many old school freestylers there it'd be great to start getting them back out and maybe get some young blood and re-inspire the scene
1: so hey you wanted to talk about beat stylers uh since uh, we mentioned some of the results the last podcast so what's what's new on that front
0: yeah well and it's a perfect tie-in as you mentioned pavel so uh, initially, we announced that uh, Dave Schiller and I had won the Open Pairs division, but Dave went and looked at the videos and he thought, gosh, it's so close. I'm not really sure if we deserve it. And so he went back and redid the math and found out that he had a rounding error. And so originally we said uh, that we won by point 0.1, uh, but in actuality, Pavel and Harry won by uh, point. Zero six. 6 So uh, we are changing the decision. Pavel and Harry are now the official Open Pairs winners for Beach Stylers 2018. So congratulations to Pavel and Harry. I'm just so happy for them. Man, this is amazing. And Pavel is just having a great year. He's on fire winning Worlds and now winning this. And he's playing out of his mind. So he totally deserves it.
1: Congrats definitely to both of them. And Harry, he made the podium at EFO. So Harry's got a nice little run going as well.
0: Before we go, I just want to mention... I just went and did an update to the wall of gurus. So you can see all of the new people with their new Frisbee Guru t-shirts posing for the camera. There's some really fun pictures. Uh, I think they really like it. So go check it out. And I just want to say super thank you to everyone who supports us. So buying t-shirts is a, one of the great ways you can support us and help keep the podcast going, help keep the live stream going. So thanks everyone out there.
1: Yeah, that is true. I echo that. Thank you all for your support. And on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time.
0: Talk to you next time.